Me and My House Season 2. Thanks for joining us in your homes, around your tables, or in your small groups in our churchwide study, Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible. This is Part 2 of Chapter 3, Covenant Made. As Canadians or North Americans, we value our freedom and should value our freedoms. While there is much discussion and talk about our freedom and rights these days, so much really to make your head spin or hurt, and much of it, it's important. However, an assertion in the Christian worldview is, though political freedom is a wonderful thing to possess and to preserve, even better and far better is the possessing of spiritual freedom. Now, how come? Well, because uh, true spiritual freedom you can experience no matter what government you live under, Mm -hmm. and true spiritual freedom you can experience without end, forever, Mm -hmm. provided that the spiritual freedom that you have is true spiritual freedom, is of the right kind from the right source. Mm -hmm. Which is what today's study is about, uh, something that we find in a conversation in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. A conversation about spiritual freedom, what it truly is, who truly has it and doesn't, and who can truly provide it. Let's look at this and see if we truly have this freedom. So as we dive back into our study, here's the story so far. Going back to where we left off in the book of Genesis, it was from Abraham that God will make a people living in his land under his rule and blessing. And through one of Abraham's descendants, God will bless people throughout the whole world. That's where we left off last time in the Old Testament. Now today, let's look to see God's fulfillment of this as we jump forward to the pages of the New Testament. And here we find Jesus again. He is the fulfillment of these promises from God. But let's continue to see how. And here it's shown in a conversation between Jesus and a group of Jews. And this is starting in John chapter 8, verse 30. And it says, As he, Jesus, was saying these things, many believed in him. Verse 31 also goes on to state that Jesus addressed his following comments to the Jews, these Jews before him, who had believed in him. So you'd think this group before Jesus would be pro-Jesus, as those who have come to know Christ through faith, being called those who believed in him. It sure sounds like that would be the case. Yes, but as the dialogue continues through the chapter, we hear startling things that reveal otherwise. In his comments to them, Jesus says some very non-politically correct things to them and about them. He will tell them that they are slaves of sin, also that they were seeking to kill Jesus, that God was not their father, in fact that they were children of the devil, that they accused Jesus of having a demon, that they were liars, and that they attempted to kill Jesus. Jesus rattles off a list of severe claims and charges. Now why? And why also when John had recorded that these Jews believed in Jesus? How are we to make sense of this? Well, it becomes very important as we think on true spiritual freedom. The key to understanding this is that the believers in chapter 8, verses 30 and 31 are akin to those back in chapter 2, verse 23, who believed in Jesus after seeing some of his miracles, but whom Jesus did not entrust himself to because he knew that their faith in him was superficial. A same false faith we can also find in John 6, verse 60, when many of Jesus' disciples turned away from him after he said some difficult things that they didn't like. So what's implied here? Well, what's implied here in John 8, 31 is faith, but false faith. 
This is implied in the end of chapter 831, where Jesus says that if they continue in his word, they are truly his disciples. And so the first conclusion here in this text, in our study, is this, that it's possible to have a superficial false faith in Christ that does not save from sin. That it's possible to cling to a spiritual freedom that is no freedom at all. One that believes it's free when it's not free. And all of this is implied in these verses from Jesus. Well, let's break this down some more. What is the anatomy of false faith? It is revealed here. First, we see from the text that... Well, we see that those with uh, false faith do not recognize, they do not see their own slavery to sin. See, after Jesus tells them in chapter 8, verse 32, this, he says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, how do they react? Well, they react defensively by asserting that they are Abraham's descendants and that they have never been enslaved to anyone. That's verse 33. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say that we will become free? Yeah, you know, I've always laughed when I read this. Not slaves to anyone? Well, how about being slaves in Egypt for 400 years? Or slaves to the Assyrians or the Babylonians? They're either delusional and they can't remember their history, or they are proclaiming that they as Jews were spiritually free. Hmm. And this sounds good to say to oneself, doesn't it? To pronounce your own freedom. Hmm. That is something just the same in our day. But notice what Jesus says to them. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Okay, so who does that encompass? In the general sense, everyone on the face of this earth except for Christ. Everyone who has ever sinned is a slave to sin, born with an inclination to sin and to go one's own way, to take the throne of his or her own life and to do what they want to do when they want to do it. To be a slave to sin is to be a slave to self. The example of these Jews is that they thought they were righteous, but their sin deceived them so that they didn't see their own slavery to sin. So the starting point for spiritual freedom is what? Well, it is to recognize, it is to see that you are a guilty sinner in God's sight. Now, this group here, this group of Jews, they they brush it off by thinking that they probably just had a few faults. And that is what what we do in our day as well. So those with a false faith, they do not see, they do not recognize their own slavery to sin. But second, this text tells us this, that those with false faith they are, well, they are trusting in their own righteousness or in their own religion to save them. Verse 33, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Well, we all trust in something. What are they trusting in? These Jews were trusting in their religious heritage as descendants of Abraham to put them in right standing with God. You know, in the church, we can fall into the same trap that these Jews fell into. If you think that going to church or going through religious rituals or giving money or any religious activity will commend you to God, you do not have genuine saving faith in Christ. You are not truly spiritually free. Yes, so they held on to their heritage, their traditions, and their self-righteousness, but they did not trust in Christ and obey him as their king. And by these actions, they proved that God was not their father, But Satan was actually their father. 
They were illegitimate children unless they came to know the one who gives true freedom. Though physically descendants of Abraham, these Jews were spiritually lost. And so Jesus tells them the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth about their condition. And this is what makes Jesus' words here not only offensive to those in front of him in that day, but also controversial in our day. Mm. The assertion that not all faith is equal, Mm. not all faith is helpful, that faith in the wrong object, or as many do today, to have faith in faith, well, it gets you nowhere. It just leaves you right where you are. And where is that place? Well, outside of God's house. Jesus said it in verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. In in other words, not everyone is a child of God. And if not a child of God is a slave to sin, to the devil, to death. And you know, one's own spiritual slavery, this is a sobering reality to wake up to but one that each of us must wake up to. Now to be sure, Jesus is not there to pick a fight with this group. He is there rather to show them the way to freedom, which he does in verse 36 as he says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Here is true freedom, Jesus says, and what it is, first of all, is that true freedom comes from knowing the Son. That's what verse 36 tells us. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Well, okay, if freedom comes from the Son, then who is the Son? We'll need to know. Well, who he is, is first, that he is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. Skip down to verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus is saying we need to be like Abraham in this sense. Jesus is saying that Abraham looked forward to the day when God fulfilled his promise to bless the earth. Mm -hmm. And what he looked forward to was actually him. It was Jesus that Abraham was looking forward to. In other words, Jesus is the one who fulfills the promise of Genesis 12. Abraham could see that in seed form by faith, and he was glad about it. So the question we should ask is, are, are we glad Do we see Jesus by faith and trust he is the fulfillment of this promise of the long-awaited Messiah? This is what we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus, the promised one who fulfilled all the prophecies of the coming Messiah, he came down to rescue us. He is Abraham's seed that would bring blessing to the whole world. He is the Savior, Messiah, Rescuer, and King. And if we don't see it, if we aren't glad in it, well then, we've got the Son wrong. We have Jesus wrong and there is no freedom to be found because as Jesus already said, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The son whom we must believe is Abraham's seed that came down to crush the head of the snake. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy and we must know and be glad that he is the fulfillment of that prophecy. But also vital is to see and trust and be glad in his deity, something we glean from the next verses. Yes, verse 57. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Well, hold on there. This is one of the most incredible verses in the Bible, in my estimation. This claim that Jesus makes, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Well, what does that mean? 
Well, Jesus is speaking of his own existence. And he is not claiming that he is merely over 2,000 years old, that he's maybe just a little older than Abraham. Mm-hmm. No, even grander, rather, he uses the present tense, I am, in speaking of the existence that he has of more than 2,000 years earlier. Thus, he is claiming an existence apart from time itself that is only true of God. I am, well, it is also the name by which God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 3 at the burning bush as the self-existent one. To be precise, if we visit that text, when God told Moses to go to Egypt to lead the Israelites out of slavery, then in response, Moses said, said this to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And then the response came. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. That's Exodus 3, 14. So Jesus says before Abraham was, which chronologically was even before Moses was, he says, I am. So if we want to be free, we must know true freedom can only be received from the right source, Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of prophecy and is deity. He is the eternal son of God. Now, lest we think spiritual freedom is only about cognitive belief and head knowledge of Jesus's personhood, well, it starts there, but it does not end there. Jesus tells us something else is needed for true freedom, something we back up to in verse 31 to find. Yeah, and verse 31 of chapter 8, we find this. Jesus says, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Here now is a uh, noted essential mark of true faith. What is it? Well, this mark of genuine faith is not just mental or verbal profession that you believe in Christ. This mark of true faith is to continue or to abide in Jesus' word. Now, we must understand Uh, This is not the condition for getting saved, but it is an evidence that you truly are saved. It's the evidence that your faith in Christ is real and sincere and genuine. And so we need to understand what Christ's word is and what it means to continue or to abide in it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to note that abiding in Christ's word is, is sweet to the soul. It is what is needed for the weary and the heavy laden. In obeying Christ's word, we find rest for our souls. There is a connection between our obedience and our freedom. There is no rest for the wicked, but there is perfect peace for those whose minds are stayed on him and on his word. You know, I find any time I follow God's word and surrender to him any anger or bitterness, that I can know a greater freedom, a greater peace, a fuller joy, and a more profound love. God has so much more for us if we let go of slights done against us and let go of our own demands and expectations and we simply abide in his word. There is great freedom here. Hmm. But also to continue in Christ's word or God's word, uh, well, it it means to be at home in his word and, and to obey it continually. Now, perfectly, no, but continually, yes. Jesus says, again, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And continue translates the Greek word that the NASB translates as abide in chapter 15 of John. It means to dwell or to be at home in God's word, just like a home you move in and you live there. And what we are talking about is time in God's word over the long haul. How come? 
Well, it's God's word and the word shapes you. It shapes your worldview. It's been said, first you shape your worldview, then your worldview shapes you. It's so true. Worldview governs and it guides uh, our thinking, our attitudes, our speech, our behavior. Uh, we can't follow Christ without living, without living in his word. And so this is just a very practical question for each of us. The question then is, are you and I abiding in God's word? Do you live there? Uh, we all live somewhere. So we could make this really practical. Let me suggest a radical idea that could transform your life. How about turn off the TV? Turn off the computer and the phone uh, for even between one half hour to an hour each day and spend that time reading, meditating on, memorizing God's word. His word with, with a prayer uh, that you might know Christ better. You know, all of this makes me think of one of my favorite Psalms and what uh, David found and what he expressed in Psalm 16. So in verse 7 there, he says, I bless the Lord who gives counsel to me. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Yeah, that sounds like a free man, David does. That is a confidence that we should all want and can have, that I shall not be shaken. Not shaken for having set the Lord always before me. Receiving God's counsel and word even in the night to his heart. David sounds like a free man. Yeah, but free, free from what? And, and free to do what? So let's, let's make this our last question. What, what characterizes true freedom? What does it look like? What does it do? And so first, uh, for the sun to set you free, it, it is this. It is to be free from spiritual ignorance. You know, Jesus emphasizes truth, this word truth in this dialogue. Eight times that word comes up in this text. And this truth, it refers especially to saving truth. Those who, uh, those who do not know God, well, they are in spiritual darkness, in spiritual ignorance. Uh, they cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 will tell us that. Uh, they do not know why they are on earth and what will happen to them after they die. They cannot see how or why uh, all of God's designs and commands, how they're good, good for them and good for, for society. But when we come to know the truth through, through knowing Christ, when the Son has set us free, uh, our eyes are opened, uh, our hearts are opened, and all of the riches of God's grace are opened to us. And second, for the Son to set us free is to be free from slavery to sin. The Son frees us from the penalty of sin, which is death, but he also saves us from the power of sin. Here is where I think it's important to note what true freedom is. Most people think of true freedom as doing what they want to do, how they want to do it, whenever they want to do it. But that is not freedom. That is slavery, slavery to sin and to self. Often that kind of thinking leads us into addictions with food, alcohol, pornography, or the like. And what we thought was freedom, we come to find, is, uh, is not freedom at all. That we are not in control. Rather, the addictions and, and bondages are controlling us. We are slaves until we know Christ. True freedom is to be set free from the slavery to sin. True freedom is found in running in the path of Christ's commands because he has set our hearts free, Psalm 119. True freedom is possible because Jesus died to purchase it and he sends his spirit to enable it. 
If the Son sets us free, we will be free indeed. Hmm. So note also with that in this John 8 text that, that they, were, they were trying to kill the sinless Son of God. And they thought they were spiritually free. Hmm. And that just shows the enslavement that we have to the power of sin. Well, third, here's another way that the Son sets you free. And this is to be free to serve others. Paul wrote this in Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Before we were saved, we lived to serve ourselves. We indulged in the flesh, thinking that it would satisfy, but Christ saved us and set us free from selfishness so that, so that we can serve others in love. Real freedom will show itself in a Christ-centered concern, love, and service to others. So, freedom. Everybody wants it. But true freedom is this something that you have. It's not in religion, not in spirituality, not in ancestry. To be free, we must believe in Abraham's seed, Christ, who came to crush the head of the snake, To be free, we must be true disciples that hold to his word, and we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. To be free, we must submit ourselves to the lordship of the one in whom all nations on earth will be blessed if we turn to him in spirit and in truth. And by believing, we become a part of Abraham's family tree, and the privileges of being a part of God's family are extended to us. This is a profound gift to us this Christmas. Yes, that Abraham's seed has come, The Son of God, God the Son, left the glory of heaven to become a baby, to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death we deserve to die, to be raised from the grave that we might know true freedom and true everlasting life as his sons and daughters in his kingdom. So as we come to another Christmas here in 2020, let's praise the Lord for the greatest gift, Jesus Christ, who has come. He's come once and will come again. Mm. Thanks for joining us. Join us again as we continue in our study through Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible, in two weeks. This podcast comes out every second Friday as we dive into the first half of chapter four, Delivered from Judgment. May the Lord bless you in Christ. Have a wonderful Christmas. We'll see you next time.